Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Simon Sweetman, and we're up to episode 124, where I finally got to meet and have a chat with a, a great New Zealand man, Bill Doreen. He's a, a writer and a songwriter, a musician, a poet, a scholar. Uh, he's many things, and he's a guy who, you know, I don't know, maybe some of you know his work better than me or don't know his work at all, but for me, he just seems to be a guy who's always been around. He's always been doing something. Uh, he's lived overseas for many years, and he's been primarily a, a writer for the page at various times, but he sort of started off as a musician, and he just, this he's prolific. There's so much stuff. So... I had tried to talk to him a couple of years ago uh, in the early days of the podcast where I had planned to, but I got really sick. He was in town to, um, and it was going to possibly even be in the documentary that came out about him, that chat, but I got too sick and had to cancel it. So when he was up here recently, we uh, we connected and had this conversation and I'm, I'm really, really glad we did. We talked about his life and some of the many things that he's done uh, and in that way that you would probably expect. If you know um, Bill and his work, there's uh, a nice element of mystery there. He doesn't tell the full story. There's plenty of uh, plenty of bits uh, for, you, for you to fill in the blanks maybe by listening to some of his work, reading some of his stuff. Uh, I, I had a great time talking to him and it was a real thrill to meet him. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation and thanks as always to T. Uh, Leaf Tea, the Pity Chocolat and Yeasty Boys. This is me talking with uh, New Zealand music legend and writer Bill Durant. So we've 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 only just met. I made you a cup of tea a couple of minutes ago, and uh, I hope it's okay. Oh, good, good, good. Now, and and we had that moment where we both sort of went, "Do we know each other?" Because we have interacted. I think a couple of years ago, you were going to come round and have the, a version of this conversation, and I was when when the documentary was being made, and I was incredibly sick, so I had to to cancel. So here we are. But uh, but you were one of those people who uh, you have. Uh, I, I want to say an enormous body of work there's a huge amount of stuff out in the world that you've done and we were just starting to say before I started recording you've essentially got these two versions of what you do writing and music but I'm sure you see them as, as one and the same in many ways yeah I, I do in a way I mean I uh, do I spent quite a bit of time writing when I was in France so just just writing but then uh, that, that became material for what I was doing later on, gave me mm. some ideas for songs, ideas for uh, for expanding them, expanding, you know, the poems or something into stories. Um, and the same happened actually the with the cut recordings, which mm. the, the album, which uh, unfortunately the records have been delayed, so they won't be there, won't be here for the launch. But um, Several of the songs from that came from these sorts of music theatre things that I was doing in Wellington mm. between 1989 and 1993, 94. So, and the, so they were plays. Um, the fourth one, um, called Cigarillo, Derek Champion and I were going to do at the... You know there's a little theatre, or there used to be just up Taranaki Street a little oh, bit? Oh, Griffin. It might be Is called Griffin it, yeah, now. now. Yeah. If you go back, 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 back from the street and you can walk yeah. straight through to Tory Street, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, we were going to put it on there in the fringe. But anyway, we cancelled it at the last, but it just wasn't ready. And that was going to be called Cigarillo with music and text and songs. And, um, well, that turned into a novel later on. Mm. So, it, mm. it, you know, that was a source for mm. a novel later. Mm. And in, the, in the same way... You know, it all informs that's each right. other. Yeah, but <laughs> that's what I mean by that. They yeah. end up being distinct. Like you yeah. might revisit themes and 
and mm. even pull things and but you pull them into a new shape like you publish poetry you've also published song lyrics but they don't they they don't sort of seem to want to be treated as poems they are actually yeah. lyrics that you just yeah. want people to read no they are the i shouldn't i actually regret having ever published any song lyrics right really in my life <laughs> Because, yeah, song lyrics, they really they do need... They deserve to be on the record, you they think? They need to be sung. Yeah. They need to be heard with the music. Yeah. And, the, the, you know, the, the, you can't separate them out. But a poem, Do you think yeah. that for other people, or do you just mean for oh, your oh, I wouldn't dare. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. Be, I'd be it's a case-by-case case basis. I'm sure there's plenty of, you know... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, speaking for your work. Speaking for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, but seriously, uh, I, I do, I think, yeah, those songs, are, it's all one, you know, but... If a, if a poem is to, is written to be read just on its own, then it has different qualities, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I wonder if we can go as far back as we can go to start with, and um, and talk a little bit about how you, how and where and when you grew up and what was happening. Uh, particularly, I guess, um, how music and writing and art in general came into your life. You you were born in Christchurch, were you? I was born in Christchurch, yeah. Um, uh, then uh, uh, it snowed the first year of my life, and um, I ended up getting sort of a, quite a bad bronchitis. And on top of that, I got the measles, which at that time I don't think there was a vaccine. Mm. Vaccine mm. That, that was about that came in about two or three years later. Right. Um, so I was quite sick early on, and, um, and then we shifted up to Wellington. Yeah. Uh, father got a job in the, the head office of the company he was working for. Mm, and then uh, we moved again, uh, actually, to Palmerston North. And so I had have, I have these sort of vague childhood memories of, really, of Being snow, scattered. even which is yeah, very yeah. early. But I do have this strange relationship with snow, right. just between you and me. Right. <laughs> and, <laughs> but, and the dog over there. Yeah. Um, and then, but I do have a few images of Wellington there. And then Palmerston North is actually, I've got quite a lot of uh, good memories of that. Mm. And there was lots of music in Palmerston North, I remember, mm. because my older bros and sisters uh, were listening to all the pop music. And, you know, those the Beatles came to New yep. Zealand and... And even in 1967, I think it was, my brother, who was like six years older than me, mm. uh, really wanted to go and see the... It was in, I think it was in the Regent or the Opera House or something in Palmerston North, and it was the... It might not have been the Loxine Golden Disc Awards. It might have... I think it was, actually. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, I'm pretty sure Pete's, Peter Sinclair was yeah. the compere, and yeah. the underdogs were in it, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. But, you know, I would have only been about nine. Right, yeah, yeah. Something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. no, I would have been nine or ten, that's right. So, um, and the underdogs, I just remember these guys who just, you know, weren't that interested in being there particularly. <laughs> yeah. They just sort of sauntered onto the stage. Mm. Uh, on the other hand, you know, the memory plays tricks. I should be 100% sure of this, but I tell you this, Murray Kamek or someone could probably, mm. Mm. you know, put his finger on say, yes, that was the lineup. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so but uh, I, I do remember the event. Yeah. Of this, yeah, the, yeah. the last twelve of the Golden Disc, but there was lots of other music too, like church music. There was music of my 
I had a sister who was a very good pianist and stuff like that, and, and so there was a piano in the house and mm. songs and, you know, I mean, it was difficult to get away from. And my father had a uh, gramophone, which, you know, I could go in there sometimes and put records on from the collection of my mm. older brothers and sisters. I think once I remember the listener used to have, you could vote for the five best songs for the top, their top ten. Mm. So it wasn't by sales, it was by popular... This this was would have been in the sixties, and mm. I remember I put five Beatles songs, <laughs> just the five that I liked. Yeah, Maybe yeah. they were from some years before. Right. Yeah, I remember yeah. Rain was one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know, I mean, they were that was an incredible decade um, mm. for music. You know, mm. there was music. It was just music everywhere, and it was so lively and so yeah, intelligent, and there was so much feeling in the voices. Mm. It was great production, and you know. Uh, yeah, so and then we shifted back down to Christchurch, and the '60s turned into the '70s. Um, the radio music, you know, there was a lot of very sort of watery, watered down sort of stuff coming mm. through on the radio, and I was very disappointed because there I was just getting into my teens. You know, yeah. that's when in the '60s, if you were, you know, you yeah, had yeah. a ball. It was great music, and you were, you know, you were inspired. You got out there, you did. You know, yeah, the, yeah. You were free. Yeah. You know, you could be free. You know, this whole the hippie thing and everything. Um, and you were supposed to have this fantastic soundtrack to. Yeah, to it was all a great that. soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing I think, really. Um, but you know that those sorts of things came at a price too I mean you know that it sort of distorted the idea of freedom yeah as well for them but I wasn't I was wasn't to get onto that until much later yeah after having sort of vomited up or being unable to digest certain you know like mm. I want to make it with you by bread or you know I <laughs> yeah, mean, yeah yeah I mean just the sort of s- sucre what do you call s- mm. s- saccharine mm. sort of music on the radio so disappointed by that and um, but anyway so I started sort of looking elsewhere for for music and uh, and that kind of led to discoveries so I didn't really think music was essential to me or anything I was still trying to figure out you know how mm. how the hell I was going to make a living in this world you know or what I would do well, what were qualifications you, what were you drawn to beyond that well, like beyond well, that's the thing you know, I was drawn to music and the yeah. arts but I was actually studying the sciences because yeah. they were, my best marks were in them so so I'd done French and Latin and stuff but I sort of had to drop them to do physics and chemistry and stuff mm. so the idea was that I would become a doctor so that was just a logical line and three other guys I was at school with did that mm. um, and I started but I, I, I figured by then I was able to think for myself. I was a bit of a late starter. Mm. And I wasn't a sort of a rebellious seven-year-old, you mm, know, mm. turned 13-year-old. It wasn't really until my mid-teens, uh, mid, just 15, 16, that I really started to think seriously that I had to do something if I was going to control my destiny uh, and, uh, and be true to myself and that sort of stuff. And which wasn't any great plan or anything. It was just that it was mainly a negative. That I had to stop doing certain things, so I pulled out of university there, and and started playing music, just with musicians who were teaching themselves, as I was really. Mm. So you know, I didn't pick up a guitar till I was fifteen. So and we were just sort of working. You know, just it was just like that one step at a time. Mm. And I think really probably my life's been like that all along, ever since then, really. Mm. You know, mm. so which probably explains why I didn't 
sort of get into the media thing too much um, or why some people said I was I seemed to be trying not to mm. publicize stuff correctly or inform them about the names of bands and you know going to festivals and all that sort of stuff uh, it was really just because I was doing things one step at a time because I was really quite you were learning quite as fragile, you were, actually learning and, as you were going too I suppose like yeah to, you know what you're saying to begin with but also I mean it's always struck me that uh, and not just with you but with your work um, you know a perceived retinence, uh, reticence from people is that you know one thing it gives you is a complete control over over what you do and actual ownership not just because you're self-releasing things but you get to retain them you know well, you give so much of that no, up don't you when that's you... right Simon but I mean in a way that can, I, it wasn't until three or four years ago that I realised that mm. because I've been so inept <laughs> at actually making any progress like having dinner with the right you know executive yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> that actually I owned all my stuff yeah you're right mm. it, it was quite a surprise um Including your soul, <laughs> you know, which well, which not not a lot of musicians have. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I would have lost mine. <laughs> you know, yeah. and because one of the things when the you know we'll we'll go back to 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 the timeline, but but one of the things that I, I know a couple of people said when I got an early copy of the documentary to review, um, and I mentioned that I was going to watch it, a couple of people were surprised that you would, you know sit down for that that you would welcome a oh. you know that you would welcome yeah. a documentary into yeah. your life that you yeah. would welcome oh, yeah. a camera into you know obviously this is you know more recently and all of that as you say you sort of had this kind of no but I wouldn't normally have but, mm. but I mean Simon came to me with you know he, I mean he had he'd really charted um, already charted you know the sort of the musical geography of of a special kind of music that was particular to its places, like the Invercargill, the um, Antarctic Angels, mm. the Invercargill Band, that was, you know, creating these events every mm. Saturday night and packed out the hall, mm. and like, you know, that really gave p- people in Invercargill something, you know, just very, very special. Um, and then he's doing the chance R and B thing, so mm. he was, he was, he was charting himself, you know, the. These, these 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 events, this phenomenon, this, not because not as an imitation, you know, of the British or whatever whatever movements, but you know something in itself, interviewing the people and like showing some sort of human side. And he did this thing with Squirm, mm. the um, Christchurch band, and like which which brought in other aspects of like to do with freedom and drug usage, and you know the personal stuff behind the bands. I mean, you know. And he loves Christchurch, which was also mm. is also one of my favourite places. Um, but and that comes through in that one there. The, mm. um, and then of course there's the um, you know where it came uh, to fruition. Also is the um, you know the Skeptics documentary. So mm. I couldn't really say no. You knew you were in, <laughs> you knew you were in good enough hands. I, yeah, I felt that I should be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And I I I wonder if it's. Uh, you know, I don't mean this uh, lightly, but I wonder if it's a kind of almost a little bit too at that point of a, I mean this positively, but a nothing to lose situation too, right? So someone wants to, yeah. someone wants to make a, a snapshot of your life, and you have lived and you have this body of work that's there, and you're still active in it. 
So to so long as you're comfortable being filmed and having some people talk about you, then it's only going to yeah. help. <laughs> you know, it's only going to help with future endeavours. Well, yeah. No, I agree. That's a good way of putting it. I think um, maybe I did... I think there was something in me that said, well, all he has to do is just come along and just film me. And, OK, the impression it gives... You know, it might make me look sloppy. It might make me look silly. It might make me look, you know, uh, pretentious. It might, you know, there might be mm. negatives, but it will also dispel a lot of things that I'm not. Mm -hmm. You know, the pre maybe prejudices that people or people that, you know, that I love from a distance. You know, that might, um, you know, might see it and say, oh, you know, so that's what that's what he's doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, now or. Mm. Or that's what he's always done. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He's always yeah. been like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's go back to you being a teenager and 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 uh, I guess playing music, teaching yourself music, learning to interact with other people who are doing the same, learning from them, yeah. showing some things to them, sharing things. Yes. Um, when when does it start to make some sort of sense that this has a, you know, a potential evolution about it, that this is something that you can mm, continue on with mm. and, you know. I mean, we were aware that sometimes, all of us were aware each at different times and, and the different people that I played with from 77 until about 80, until we started recording and, mm. and one or two, of, one of them in fact said, hey, you know, we should record. Mm. Which know, is we're, we're playing these, they're, they're, they're good enough quality and they're just going to be lost. This well, is what, 81, 82, yeah, that sort 81, of, yeah. 82. Well, up until then, so like for three or four years, we were all aware that at different times we were playing okay. Yeah. But, I mean, the trouble is is that at other times we were not playing well at all. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's brutally true, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes it was just goddamn awful, <laughs> you know. So, um, yeah, I don't know when it, I don't know. I think probably I've always had the ability to play pretty terribly, uh, even up until just a few <laughs> years ago. I think now I've pretty well cracked it, I hope. <laughs> Touch wood. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and where does the, when does the, the, the non-music writing come into it? I mean, because you, yeah. you publish a lot, um, particularly from the sort of mid-90s, on right in terms of but yeah. I know you're always doing things there was small press stuff but yeah, you really right. you really sort of you almost for a while and we'll, we'll, we'll come into this a, a bit further hopefully but you sort of almost become dare I say it more of a writer or more known for being a writer when you're overseas yeah. don't you oh well you do especially if you're a an oh, someone who has an ambition to be a writer before mm. they go mm -hmm. <laughs> you know they might even go because in just about every country, and I even think the Japanese have a word for it. Mm. Um, if you go overseas, and when you come back, mm. uh, just the simple fact of having been out and come back in, that's the Japanese word, of having been out and come back in, mm -hmm. um, that, that gives you credibility uh, in the eyes of people. I mean, mm. people, it happens to, you know, you might go and look, live in London and come back and get a job with BNZ. Mm. I mean, you mm. know, it can apply with all flows mm. to every discipline, I suppose. But I didn't really go overseas with the idea of being a writer. I went, a, I went away as a musician. Mm. I was invited to play in Berlin. I'd been there before the wall came down, and then I went there again two more trips uh, afterwards, meeting, making friends, and then finally uh, doing a couple of tours and 
finally getting to settle in, in Berlin. And I was still, you know, I would do a couple of shows a, a month. Just, I, I get the train to anywhere in, in Germany, there was a good special weekend rate, so I could leave on the Friday afternoon, go to some club that, there are hundreds of them, if not thousands in Germany, mm. you know, get up, find out and go do there, they feed you, clothe you, they give you a couple of hundred uh, marks or whatever it mm. was at the time, mm. get back to the flat, you know, and that would be enough for another couple of weeks. So I was actually living, you know, as a musician really for two, a couple of years anyway. Mm. And um, But during that time, I was also, because uh, I'm a person who takes every situation and it's, so, like, um, working with these musicians here, um, it's all happened really by chance and co happy, happy coincidence, happy mm -hmm. accident, mm. that all these things happen. And over there, well, if you looked at where I was and what I was doing, I was becoming more and more isolated, actually. Mm. I was playing solo, mm. which is one of the hardest things I've ever done. And um, so then when I met another friend in Berlin as well, which uh, you can see why it's a favourite or was a favourite city for me at that mm. time. It was quite poor too, so the rents were, were low. There was still like lots of, um, you know, what they would call occupied houses, which is the, the big uh, places where... Um, big big uh, apartments, mm. houses uh, where where families would have lived during mm. the Soviet era. Um, that they they had been emptied out um, when the wall, when the reunification happened. There were lots of people living in these houses, essentially squatting, but it was with the okay of the usually with the okay of the city, some in some cases, and and so it was a healthy thing artistically. Mm. And it was quite inspirational uh, for me, but uh, I was becoming more isolated. And when a friend said, come to Paris, we can uh, set up, a, they had a, a contact and we could get a place that was affordable. Mm. And, um, you know, go there. well, then I went there. But I, I found that I had actually ended up in a place that knew even less about... Uh, New Zealand music, you know, than um, than, than 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 Poland or mm, you know, mm. Czechoslovakia, Czech, Czech Republic, or whatever. Um, so I was, uh, you know, completely anonymous there. And the most logical thing, following my nose, was to sit down and write. Mm, mm. Um, and so it wasn't really, you know, like a decision. It was it was like each day at a time kind of thing. Mm. And that's that's how I've ended up seemingly changing directions but actually I'm just kind of surviving mm, just mm. following and but luckily uh, I had done a some study in writing and you know being had essay writing clobbered into me and like I was aware of structuring stuff mm, mm. with words right you know done some writing some journalism and you know I mean I was so I had I had the tools mm. to do some writing um, it's not my first love. Music is, you know, my first uh, first love. But you know. Mm, mm. So it strikes me you've got this, you know, sort of um, the the classic kind of know the rules before you break the rules approach to both music and and your writing. You know, you're a fan of pop songs and pop music. You you write pop songs, but you also move into, um, uh, you know. 
anything but anything but pop songs um you know almost willful destruction of pop songs and the same with writing you know cut up technique type stuff and you also move in both your songs and your and your prose and poems from sort of memoir real life type stuff to to completely abstract yeah that's true yeah i do try to to mix it up again it's fairly intuitive so and i'm not really as a as out there and experimental as I would like to be. Right. I've, uh, there are a lot of writers that I admire, uh, you know, for, for being that. Um, uh, it's not that I regret, you know, I do what I can, but uh, I, I do feel that what I do is probably uh, at the least least risky end of the, you know... Of yeah, the, experimental that, that sort of kind stuff. of, but, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, but that, what you say is, is true, yeah. Yeah. So how do you, I mean, how do you... Uh, I guess arrive at those things. How do you, you know? Obviously, there's there's influence. There's stuff you're reading. There's stuff yeah. you're taking on board. Yeah. There's, there's stuff that you're living. But um, you talk about playing music solo as being um, a, a scary prospect. Mm. Um, standing up and doing spoken word mm. stuff fits with that too, right? That's yeah. pretty intimidating. <laughs> Yeah, for a, for any length of time. I mean, in the show that we're doing, yeah. um, uh, we're alternating a couple yeah. of solo songs, and then we have an improvisation with a group of six or seven. Yeah, you know that breaks it up. You don't feel that people. Yeah. Are getting bored. Yeah, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Or a little bit tired of just the same tones. You know. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- these are the fears. Mm. I guess. Um, uh, I mean, we all know. Yeah, you know how important. But, you know, diversity and variety and stuff is and mm. shaping any sort of evening. Mm. Um, it's that much harder when you're just there on your own, that's for sure. Mm. Um, oh, I've lost the thread there. <laughs> no, I just, no, that's fine. I, you know, what everything you're saying is good. I just, I'm just curious about how you have, I guess, arrived at these different forms. Oh, As yeah. you say, you know, you say it, it sounds like it's all pretty organic. But oh, I think um, that, 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 that's a word for it. I would say organic. There's, I mean, um, there's this. There is, you know, the situationist had this idea of the. Well, there are two things they had actually. Not that I'm a situationist, but mm. they were, you know, with punk, they were sort of inseparable from punk, really. Um, you know, John John Lydon was pretty well read in situationism, um, and Sue and the Banshees, Sue, Susie Sue, um, also for, in different ways. You know, mm. they, were, they were all quite, mm. I mean, they were against the, the spectacle, you know, as the society of the spectacle as being, you know, as being an empty, an empty thing, which is actually denying people the opportunity to live, you know, because people are identifying too much with this, this, this with, with fakes, in a way, with, with this spectacle. So Susie, 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 I've heard it said Su- Yeah, Susie, I think, whatever. but, uh, I yeah, yeah. Susie, but I heard uh, someone saying Susie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, and, um... I mean, she, I mean, you know, took the, in order to sort of oppose, oppose the, the spectacle, you know, she, she, she decided to be spectacular, you know, so she, you know, in, mm, in a way, mm. punk is, is that. It's like making a spectacle, really, mm. of yourself, mm-hmm. you know, like with the hair and with the chains. She would walk into a pub, you know, with her dog on a lead mm. and, sorry, not her dog, but her best friend yeah, yeah, yeah. on a lead. As the dog. <laughs> and say to the barman, could I have a glass of water for my dog? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is it's like, okay, 
you know, that's, I'm not quite convinced, yeah. you know, by that. Whereas John Lydon, okay, he was, you know, he, he, he was sort of breaking it all up as well and, and like just venting his, you know, his dissatisfaction, mm. if you like, with mm. it, without really necessarily, and I don't think he ever did, really posing any, any particular way forward. But the, mm. the situation is they had these things, there was detournement, de, like turning away from mm-hmm. uh, existing things, you know, sort of like turning things on their heads, if you like. So I guess that's maybe one approach that I use to look at a structure or a string and like just turn it upside down, mm. you know, blow it open, break it apart. Another thing they had, which they were known for, was derive. And a derive is, a, is actually where you walk out the door You don't know where you're going. Don't know where you're going to go. Mm. Uh, you, but you follow just uh, being in touch with your feelings, uh, and the interactions with other humans, because mm. it's a humanist kind of. You know, it's a human thing. Um, you have this adventure. You know, you have mm. a, a human adventure mm. with people. You know, in a, of course, in a bigger city, in an urban, in a big city. There's so much more, many more things that can happen, mm, mm. you know. And at that time, because again, it's a time thing. It's happened. You know, this was a theory of the fifties, so I mean, it was probably a lot less dangerous mm, than mm. you know than than Auckland yeah. <laughs> today. Probably I don't know, but um, yeah. So and that was and that what what they said was that to do that you're sort of creating your own psychogeography. So it's like you are. It's you, which is you know an individual but you're in this sort of psychological space with other people mm. and really anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen and does happen and it even can happen and will happen any moment of your life if mm. you live, you know, in a certain way. Of course, you, you do have to eat and stuff like that, you know, mm. but, um, I you think know, so, so it's an approach. So if you apply that to writing songs, mm. to writing, you know, uh, novels and poems and stuff. Mm. Well, I mean, artistically, probably it's pretty much what every artist probably does anyway. Mm. You know, when they come to a new work, there wouldn't be many mm. who. Sorry, I'm raving on a bit here, but no, no, it's there, great. There wouldn't be many who, um, you know, say, right, oh, in the next two years, I'm going to do this portrait of yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Matt and <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's but the, this is sort of interesting, and what I wanted to get to with you is that you know. Um, I feel like, and you know, I, I am not completely across everything that you've done. I'm not sure who is. I'm sure there are some people that are, but I, I've, I've read a fair bit of your stuff, and I've, I've listened to a fair bit of your stuff, and all of it makes sense, and it makes sense in how it, how it kind of, um, chronologically, it kind of makes sense. You know, you can. That's what I mean by organic. You can see the. You can see your that you are charting your own development through this stuff. You're kind of, you're. I feel like you were professionally or artistically growing up through the stuff that you were putting out. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's great that that you feel that. That gives me some. <laughs> Some hope that I may one day reach maturity. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what does it mean to you know? Does it does that if that's true in any way? I'm sure it is at least in some sense. What does that mean to you? Know, I mean, you you're putting on these sort of generous shows now where you're able to to dip in and out of a few different things to have, as you say, some spoken words, some solo songs, some songs that have you know a. a 
songs that you've written, songs that you have um, adapted yep. or you yep. know found um, that have come to you that you've grown up with, all of these different things. Um, are there aspects of your work that you've found to be a struggle to go back to or you, you can't connect with? You know, it's, it, it's fine, you're not embarrassed by it, but it's just a different version of you and you just leave it where it is. Or do you feel quite connected to all of it? Well, yeah, I am connected to all of it because it, uh, each of those steps was taken. Mm. I mean, I, I, I did believe, you know, I'm a believer. I, I did believe uh, at any of those particular times that, what, that that was the way to go. Mm -hmm. you know? um, probably if, I'd, if there's any regrets, it, it would only be that perhaps in some cases I wasn't actually able to really harness or that I wasn't able to really make um, just that, that, that sort of, you know, psychic connection uh, with the other people uh, concerned, you know, and um, so perhaps sometimes, you know, we would have, the show would have been interesting and lots of interesting stuff in it and so on, but it just, it just wasn't that sort of, uh, probably probably the word maturity probably isn't bad actually <laughs> I would say probably not that maturity on my part probably right. to really and experience you know I think I'd, I'd, I'm not saying I'm the old man of the mountain now but I, but I think uh, I think I do know a little bit better where where other musicians are coming from you know mm -hmm. it's so complicated uh, you know and the, I mean they, they love music as the basic thing mm -hmm. I guess and um Perhaps at other times I might have been looking for more from the musicians. Um, uh, the actors were probably more motivated as actors um, when I was working in Wellington. Mm. A lot of them had like might have done training, and Wellington, you know, even in the nineteen late eighties, early nineties, it had four. You know, you could call them professional theatres. Yeah. So yeah. I mean that, that was you know twenty years before that there wasn't mm. even one community theatre. Well, there might have been one community theatre in New Zealand, something mm. you know. Mm. So this was there was there was a they were speaking the language. Mm. Um, whereas and they were everywhere. So you walk down the street, you find an actor. Mm. But uh, with the musicians, it was always a bit more sort of haphazard and um, yeah, I, I had a lot of luck. Uh, with mm. them, I must say that, yeah. Well, in Wellington, it's, uh, I mean, you, you, you'll be able to tell me, but my, my, my understanding of Wellington in the, in the 80s is that the, and I know this is still, still the case in some areas, but the actors and musicians were, were often one and the same. You had, you know, these people like Fran Walsh, Steve Braunius, yourself, John McCleary, and these are just people I know and know right. of that were that were actively involved in theatre. They were in bands. They were, if not in bands, they were very much part of the scene. Part of the scene, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And they were maybe displaying artworks as well. Art or, as well. You know, that's or right. writing, um, you know, working on publications and small press stuff and yeah. publishing, you know, editing yeah, that's right. collections of poetry between themselves and... And there are loads more names there, obviously. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah, it had, was a very healthy scene. That's right. Yeah, and, there was plenty going on. And you were you were very connected to... You've been very connected to scenes at various different times in your life, and then you seem to have 
disappeared from them as well. Yeah, I guess so. Maybe I, uh, it's not that I have a distrust of scenes. Um, yeah, I mean, certainly like in Auckland, we uh, I tapped into the improvisation scene yeah. up there, uh, but it was really Steve uh, Cornane who, who, who does regular improvisations yeah. with these yeah. guys. That he coordinated that group. Right. Um, I, mean, I like I like uh, just you know, dealing with people on a one-to-one -one basis and um, uh, and then and as a group as well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could say the whole, you know, the punk movement or whatever there was, you know, there was a, that was a big scene. Yeah. And you got, you know, the, um, yeah, I mean, you got from all, all, all sorts of stages down to the sort of Christchurch arty, arty scene in the early 80s. Uh, who were you know they were they were, they were really gifted um, artists, but they were you know they dressed more sort of arty, mm. <laughs> and you know it was a scene. Mm, mm. It was a scene. Um, whereas my sort of thing, I guess I've always kind of liked the garage uh, thing, not only because you know I like pub rock as well. I mean mm. I, I mean I think pub rock was important too. Mm. You know, because it was giving something. It wasn't on TV. You know, mm. people would go out like the chance R and B thing. You know, mm, even, mm. even. But yeah, I mean, there are all kinds of scenes, and I just sort of like the garage thing because it was kind of. Um, I, I always had a bit of a distrust of fashion. Yeah. Right. I was going to say primitive, and and yeah. and and again in a really positive way. The garage scene. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. Yeah. yeah, you know. I think it's, it's, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, because well, I guess one of the things I think too when I when I was saying you sort of seem to be connected to various scenes and then move away from them is it strikes me that uh, you're you're kind of a um, uh, a man out of time periphery figure in a lot of things. I mean you're. Your story, you're, you're anthologised as part of F Flying Nun in many ways, and you're obviously you, you record the first full-length album that Flying mm. Nun releases, but you're a bit older than you know the the kind of classic crew that we come to know of now as the early Flying Nun mm. people in many ways, and you're you, because of the sheer amount of work that you've done and the things that you've gone on to do outside of that, it's not it's never the first thing anyone thinks of. Yet you have this rightful claim as one of the first people to help the label mean anything in some way. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, Roger did. You know, he when he when he thought about starting a label when he was working in the in the record shop mm. in, in the square in Christchurch. Uh, I mean, he he wanted to release the kind of music that that I was playing with other people. It mm. wasn't only me. You know, there were all these. There was, yeah, there yeah. was a whole bunch of of us. Making music, doing stuff, and he went to some of the into some of the halls or mm. you know the sort of uh, venues that people found to perform to to have their events that might have been well attended or not, mm. and said, you know, this music should be heard, you know, mm. by other people. So uh, the thing is, though, that I think my personal life and the the music life have always kind of conflicted. <laughs> And um, so, I mean, I, I would have probably, if I'd been a single, totally single person without 
um, any commitments uh, probably would have gone a different direction at the beginning of the Flying Nun era, mm-hmm. 81, 82, 83, 84. Mm. Um, but uh, that's when I started to think about, um, you know, trying to uh, get some revenue mm. from, uh, and that might have been, you know, that did take me a bit away from Flying Nun. I set up my own label. Yeah. Um, I released uh, three albums that sold pretty well. Um, I was trying to support a family, and uh, you know, it's uh, it sort of entered the whole. The, the universe had changed quite a lot. I don't know whether there was anything particularly ideological that kept me separated me from flying. None. It was just circumstances. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, I had uh, dinner with Roger Shepard a couple of weeks ago, and we had a good talk. And uh, you know, it's great to see that he's back, sort of. Yeah. You know, in the yeah. in the fold. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I think his. Um his book was really an important thing for for him to just yeah. to do. Yeah. And then it's, you know, it's a good book, it's a good piece of writing and it was really well received. I think that's been a, a, a big thing in his journey and yeah. in the recent, you know, years of his journey. You know, I know he, he came around and spoke to me when the book was released and I know he was just completely bitten by the bug of writing. You know, he'd always. It's always something. You know, he's always anyone. I'd 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 known Roger a little bit, but um, but you know, in, a lot a lot of people had said that he was always a kind of keen reader and a a, yeah. a keen uh, you know art enthusiast. It wasn't just music; it was all of these other things. And and uh, certainly, you know, the chance to sit down and write, he's pretty pretty keen to get to work on some other books yeah. I understand oh good that's good because yeah, he always he does have stories as well mm. he's always had a wealth of stories about you know well, he wants to write from, he wants you know, to write and publish fiction too I know yeah. he's a real crime oh, crime fiend and he's working on um, yeah I think I read I even read a story of his when he went over to Ireland was it oh I might be mixing it up with a, another journalist who went there to interview Shane McGarren but no there was something oh yeah I think he was no, it was a Belfast story. Yeah, well, he's got he's got yeah. all kinds of stories, yeah, yeah. probably from his time in yeah. the UK that would yeah. be interesting. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, so you, so you, yeah. let's go back to you making the early records. So you, you put this. Re- the first thing you do is the Flying Nun record. The first, my first release. Yeah. Um, well, Six you... Impossible Things, I think. If it wasn't Six Impossible Things, it was four songs on uh, twenty solid solid Krypton hits. Yeah. Right. I even think Campbell might have pipped Flying Nun at the post. Um, yeah, he, he he virtually sold all his belongings and even his furniture, I think, to finance the recordings for 20 uh, Krypton hits. And um, he did that with Arnie, Bus- Arnie Van Bussel as well, the sound engineer mm. in, uh, in Christchurch. Sound, mm. you know. Um, and then The Six Impossible Things... So he paid for all that, Campbell did, and then Six Impossible Things that was recorded here at Sausage Studios. Mm. Um, I just they had already released Four Stars, and um, and Robbie uh, Duncan, you know, was open to all kinds of propositions, uh, but he didn't actually uh, work the four track. It was a four track in their studio, Molesworth Street. Right. Yeah. And uh, but a guy called Wayne, whose surname I've never known, but to whom I'm eternally grateful for some really uh, straightforward uh, recording and, and mastering 
of that four-track stuff that we did, and he went out to EMI and supervised the cut as well. Mm, mm. So, yeah, he's an unsung hero. Mm. <laughs> and then you move up to Wellington. No, oh, well, I had come up to Wellington again at that stage. Yeah. I sort of have this love affair yeah, ongoing yeah. with Wellington. I sort of go away and come back and go. Yeah. And uh, then I went back to Christchurch, and that was when one of the people, Alan, uh, that I had been playing with said, had, he saw that there were one or two people releasing their own music, you know, mm, making their mm, own. Mm. And he said, well, hey, you know, why don't we, you know, do this? He was probably a bit pissed off in a way. Mm. So we got some ideas together and recorded um, some the first songs, and they became the, the first EPs. Mm. Uh, and because he and, and people, Malcolm, probably Malcolm Grant, were more, they, they were communicating better with Roger at that point, and I think that's how... This uh, sort of distribution thing happened with uh, part ownership or whatever it is. Mm. No one even really particularly knows <laughs> <laughs> what it is. That yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, with, um, with Roger and them sort of happened. So Yeah. And what's going on for you in this time? So you, you mentioned sort of um, needing to provide for a family. What jobs are you doing? Because you worked at RNZ I did work for a bit, RNZ. didn't you? Well, that was in '78. I went to right, okay. radio yeah. announcer school. Yeah. At, at, at uh, who was doing that? Uh, people that you know. I think there was a guy who retired very recently. Used to do the nights. Oh right, yeah, midnight yeah. to dawn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lloyd Scott. Yeah. Yeah. He was one of the and I don't know, yeah, and there was another guy who you'll you'll know those family names, um, and actually people who were on the course with me. There were people who became like it was Jeff Bryant. Right. I think, pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was definitely working with me at Radio Marlborough. When yep. I went to work at Two ZE, and there was a guy Daniels, was it? Uh, anyway, uh, he ended up in Auckland. Came up to me in a bar and said, "Remember me?" <laughs> and yeah, it was quite an interesting that that radio announcer school. Mm. Um, but yeah, so then I went to Two ZE in Blenheim, and the good thing about going back to the South Island was that the, the guys I had been playing music with, because uh, um, that was a job to try and support mm. a family in a because mm. I became a dad when I was like nineteen twenty. So it was that the guys came up, they all drove up and mm. we all played in this uh, one bedroom flat that I had and went through the stuff. Uh, yeah, and in fact they came up to Wellington as well, or Peter and Stephen and a guy called Peter Fryer came up um, to Wellington and and we played in 1977, even we played at the Students' Arts Festival. Right. In 77, which was the one when the, I think the Scavengers and maybe the Suburban Reptiles played. But they were the big, we just played in the upper common room. Mm. Um, it was pretty well unannounced, but there were about 15 people there. And uh, I think we were pretty terrible. <laughs> but sort of all visited the zoo and, yeah. you know. But yeah, and then I shifted from Radio Marlborough because uh, uh, the relationship was it was a bit distant, wasn't working in Blenheim. And, um, and the mother of my child and the child went back to Christchurch and I got, got offered a job at uh, Radio Windy. Uh, so I went there for you know a few months. I was doing Midnight to Dawn on there as mm, well, night mm, shift. Mm. Um, that was good. I got the chance to play even at all those places at Randy Newman and you know some Velvet Underground. And, uh, and actually in Blenheim, believe it or not, they used to, they, in their library. They had a copy of. So this is like seventy seven. Mm. A record. I don't know if you, if anyone will know it, but it was called. So you want to be a rock and roll star? 
Yeah. It was the scream years of Australian pop, 64 to 66. Yeah. And this was in the library at yeah. 2ZE, so that got a wee bit of airplay as well. Yeah, yeah. So Easy Beats kind of stuff. That, yeah, that, but you know, those... they weren't on that one. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah, Mike but... Ferber and the Bari oh, Boys, yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I loved that song, uh, You Stole My Love, it was called. Yeah, I just yeah. loved it. I loved the guitar solo on it. And uh, You Stole My Love. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and he came to a sticky end, apparently. I was always kind of a little bit fascinated by his, the fact that he was found hanging in his mother's garage. Right. And some say it was a suicide after serious depression. And others say it was the mafia who killed him because he'd just started up a relationship with a Sydney prostitute. Wow, wow. You know, all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, so that was Australian pop. Yeah, and yeah. And then I didn't really get on to Lardy-Dars and Avengers and stuff probably until the following year. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, in that era of radio, I, I take it you would have been um, doing a bit of the stuff yourself. So you would have been doing, like, you would have been learning about, like, editing and... Things like, you know, you would have been a one-man band almost, nighttime um, stuff. Yeah, pretty well. There was a, At Radio Marlborough, there was a technician. Yeah. There was a newsreader. Yeah. And then there was me and Jeff Bryant and Doris Sutherland, who used to do the shopping report. Mm. But you'd <laughs> And then we connected to the national grid at some point. Right, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. But I was going to say, you might end up filling in for a... a another role if someone went away you know or, yeah. or was even caught well, was, on a toilet break or something like yeah. that so you I, mean, I was very junior <laughs> yeah yeah you know, yeah I, i'd only just begun i was very green as far as radio goes and sometimes playing stuff i shouldn't have but mm. um yeah and also again yeah but i did i did enjoy that little period of time in blenheim poor old blenheim gets people <laughs> slag off at it quite a lot i guess what i was hoping to connect there was was did that inform or uh your sort of um your own recording yeah. and your well, own... i did do some recordings there yeah i record actually at the studio although i wasn't supposed to um i mean they didn't know I had the key to, and so it was a house actually. Yeah. It was actually a you know a yeah, brick. Yeah. Like a six, like a state house. Yeah. It was the radio station. No, I had the key. So and they had these two tape recorders. You know, they they they're about uh, seventy centimeters wide, and, and they're on an angle. And they come down. And they've got these huge spools. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. And, and like, and they had two of them side by side. Yeah. So if you if you set them upright, if you played. So if I recorded my 12 string into one of them, uh, I could phase, I could phase them one to the mm. other. So you get this mm. natural phasing, physical phasing mm. of one to the other, but you can also get this echo mm. if you if you played play record and then it and then it played back through the playback mm. head of the second. So that's what I recorded a song called Blenheim Song on. Mm. And Blenheim Song has the um, this echoing guitar and also echoing voice, which is a bit like John Lennon, you know. Yeah, yeah. And I think I might have even double tracked. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I was learning stuff uh, just yeah. by, just on, you know, when nobody knew. Going yeah, yeah, there yeah. And, and exploring the technical s side of things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So a good job to have, like a good, and a good, oh, I a, think a good, so. I good kind of world to be in. in radio. Yeah, yeah. It taught me a lot and made me understand radio a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just that connection to music, that that actual yeah. connection to, yeah, you know, to, to... To the industry. To, yeah, to, yeah, and to being open to hearing things that yeah. you both... You know, as you say, you got to sneak on some music that you love, but you'd mm. also... Uh, as bad as some of the um, mm. uh, schmaltzy stuff is, it's, 
it's 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 good to be um, you know it's good to have reinforced what you don't like so that you can reinforce what you like. Yeah, uh, I suppose so. I certainly didn't <laughs> think of it in that way. I no, was, I was just trying to you know stay alive, or keep out of depression or whatever. And uh, yeah. you know, not that I'm particularly prone to depression, but yeah, but yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, this. Uh, yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, you mean, yeah. I mean, you mentioned it. Uh, you, how do you, how do you combat? Um, I guess, how do you keep check of your mental health, particularly doing the sort of work you're doing? When you say you're not particularly prone to depression, yeah. Well, I mean, still, I, I, I can. I mean, I'm, you still I mean, brought I'm, it up, so you're I, there's I an awareness. Have, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I think I should be prone to depression. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I, sometimes I do get very depressed, but it's not. Um, I, I I don't. I've never taken any treatment for it, and I think that um, uh, probably you know creativity um, has helped me. I mean, a, f- a friend that I was making music with recently is on medication for depression, and I, you know, I, I said, well, you know, have you thought about just sitting down and writing, talking about mm. Roger writing and me writing? Mm. Um, and because, and I, real, I said, well, I realised actually that it did help me at one time. Mm-hmm. It really helped me um, after a uh, serious separation, which was, uh, which was quite difficult because there was legal stuff involved and I had put a lot of faith in the legal system to, to, to make a situation develop in a way that I wanted it to Mm. um, and the other parties did not respect that um, and so it didn't end up as I wanted that's Mm. all that I can say about it Mm -hmm. but um, and that that was extremely depressing for me because you know all my happiness uh, was invested in that so but and that's kind of when I started writing and um, so it did, did help me a lot I guess, you know, making music and stuff like that keeps me mm. sane, like uh, like, uh, like the Rocky Erickson song, uh, I had to tell you, it's the mm. music mm. Uh, that keeps me sane. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. So you, what, what happens after you, you're in Wellington for a time, you're in Wellington for, what, most of the 80s? Or a good portion of the a good portion of the yeah, yeah. mid to late 80s yeah well mid to late because I, I went over to overseas for a year for personal reasons and um, when I came back I worked uh, for the court theater and um, and because oh, I was on a bursary scholarship type thing at university before I dropped out again I was mm. going to do a, I was going to do a PhD in in theater mm. And uh, so I did that for a year, sort of got the money for whatever for that, and then but I pulled out of that, and then went overseas. When I came back, I worked at the Court Theatre mm-hmm. for a while, um, and that's where I met and Alec Christchurch. Bathgate. Yeah. yeah, and Alec Bathgate was making props. He's a very right. gifted, uh, you know, um, sculptor and makes his, you know, making things. Right. And uh, I think I visited them at the house once. He had a, you know, he had a very realistic looking rat on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> And stuff like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, uh, so he came, that was about this sort of person who uh, owned a lot of property, um, also proved to have a kind of altruistic spirit and let me, gave me very low rent on, on some spaces in Cashel Street. So uh, I went from the court theatre over to this place that became the Blue Ladder Theatre mm. and like got some funding for different projects, got a, a project that for 
to do a reconstruction of the the epic of Gilgamesh mm. from the Sumerian times in the Robert McDougall Art Gallery. Like you know, these were jobs, mm. Mm. and so there was this kind of sculptor guy, kind of guy employed for that. And I was making instruments out of uh, found objects. So, but this was okay. Some of them were those little PVC pipes, mm. not not pipes like uh, from scratch, but from yeah, scratch yeah. had been. Yeah. And so this was a precursor. But but this was actually all kinds of it. This was all the different varieties of musical instruments that you can make. Mm. So you've got little pipes, and some of them you can hear on some of the songs. Um, so they might have different scales because, you know, not CDE mm. and not you know, but half microtones between the different things. So. And so, you know, we were trying out all kinds of stuff. We were reinventing. Mm. We are going back to the times mm. of the Sumerian, of the beginning of writing. Mm. And writing began putting those little impressions into soft clay and then baking the clay. And then, the, you know, this was the first writing of any dura durability. Mm. Um, we were saying, okay, well, what about the music? And making, trying to recreate, trying to get ourselves back into that headspace where music where was born, mm. you know, where the... A bit like, I don't know, you've seen that film of, of Terence Malik about a couple whose son dies right at the beginning of the film, so I'm not ruining it for anyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he dies right at the beginning, and there are two other brothers, there are three brothers, and then it goes, it goes yeah, through the whole yeah. story, but for about the first half hour, there's all this special effects which mm. is like the creation of the universe. Mm, I mm. think it's, and it's, they're beautiful special effects, maybe a bit too much, but, mm, mm. but that's in a way what we're trying to do, going back to the very beginning mm. of music. So we've got like stringed instruments, but of course we had no money. I mean, okay, there was some funding, but you know, you're doing mm. this on zero. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I still am. Yeah. And the people who work with me for some unknown reason, God bless them, <laughs> You know, or it's it's all for love. You know, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. or for what, or not, or for you know, concrete, um, theoretical, you know, motivations. But yeah, so there was string stuff. There was idiophones, stuff you make yeah, with yeah. the wind, every kind. You know, the voice. Um, you know, and also stories. So with the story of Gilgamesh, which was a kind of a had to be worked from translations and all that because mm. that were already existing that were coming out at that time, rather than having one narrator telling the story, like, you know, we think that, you know, there's a storyteller, we had, like, we, we, we brought in lots of people to read paragraphs. So they would come in, someone would read a couple of paragraphs and then move on, there'd be more music. Mm. So there was John Christoffels, who's in the, was in the terminals for a while and still now he's a filmmaker and, yeah. you know, he's quite recognised. He was... He was involved with that, making these chimes, making chimes, um, a sort of gamelan type thing, mm, mm. like a gamelan kind of thing, because um, I would have already been exposed to the gamelan here in Wellington, because my, my dear sister was involved in the very first right. first ever gamelan um, with Jack Body, and I had been hitchhiking down from Auckland once, uh, and got in really tired, and she was going to a gamelan, it was this new thing, we got this gamelan orchestra, so I went in there, she said I could listen, great, so I sat down, started listening and immediately fell asleep. Well, afterwards I thought I was quite embarrassed at having, you know, and, but Jack Body, 
the dear Jack mm. Body, such a good soul, said to my sister, oh, you know, that's all right. It was a compliment. It's a compliment for someone to fall mm. asleep during the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> nice, isn't it? Soothed them. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so there was that, there were chimes and strings and, you know, and there were these different members of the community to make it like a common story. Mm. That, in fact, art is not necessarily, it's not one person anyway, mm. you know, it's everybody actually. Mm. Mm. But certain people have the privilege or the daring, you know, to to to, to say, okay, I'll, I'll be one of those people, mm. you know, I will do it. Uh, you know, but some people are technically brilliant and... You know, then they can be incorporated into the work, but perhaps, you know, you, you just do you need someone to perhaps coordinate a plan and say, well, this is the program kind of thing. Mm. Mm. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's a there is a real just hearing you talk about that. There's there is a real thread that goes through your work. I think of of um, various meanings around the word freedom. You know, there's there's obviously yes. there's free. Yeah. actual free music and free of you know say being roped down to a time signature and so forth and, and but it's the same with your and, and and I'm thinking of some of the prose things like enclosures and that there is actually like a kind of concrete narrative and then you free yourself from that and go off and explore and then you come and then you come back and it's it's kind of like that with a lot of the music too like yeah. it's 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 free but it's also there is a a kind of a hope of connection with people you know you're not trying to actually be like um, perversely experimental to the point that you don't you know that you're only making it for yourself and you yeah. don't want anyone to listen to it it's there's a there's a real hope of connection in your music oh that's definitely the case I mean uh, there wouldn't I uh, that's right I mean I am totally dependent upon other people and uh, Simon's title for the film is, is quite right mm. a memory of others um, you know because I uh, when I'm writing um, yeah when, except when I'm writing perhaps um, but but certainly the stuff that I'm that gives me the most pleasure is certainly and seems to be most effective is getting out there and working with other people and this where everybody has that freedom I mean in the 60s there was talk about freedom you know I mean in the I mean, one of the first people I learned was Lead Belly, actually, when I started learning guitar. Mm. Um, it's just some songs of Lead Belly. I happened to pick up a record of his at the second-hand shop. There used to be one in Christchurch, down on Bailey Ave. Mm. A guy called Perry used to run it. And um, so I bought a, you know, a Lead Belly record, second-hand Leonard Cohen record, you know, Jimi Hendrix record, and, you know, and I just listened to them all the time. And, mm. But Lead Belly, you know, I mean, he was in prison. Mm. I mean, he when he talks about freedom, you know, he's talking about yeah. being freed from yes. prison. Yeah. When he's singing, you know, this is the midnight special, shine yeah. your light on me. <laughs> you know, he's talking about the light. That's the story that if the light of the train shines on a prisoner, that he's going to be the next one to go free. Mm. You know, and when and then freedom kind of became more metaphorical. Mm. You know, with. Uh, you know, when he's singing, I will be released, it's released from prison, but then you get, you got Bob Dylan, well, you know, any day now, mm. any day now. Oh, it's much more metaphorical. It's like I'll be free from the, you know, the things that are oppressing me, you know. Mm. The, it's, um, uh, I think freedom has been through so many changes, mm. you know, but I, I mean, I, I just think that, I think it's freedom is still as important, but it's the important thing is to, 
is that is that everyone especially that I work with has the freedom, you know, to think differently. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, not only to be to 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 dress differently. Uh, you know, or to make a mm. a spectacle of being different, but to think differently, you know, in their own way. And if we can bring that all together in an ensemble, mm. you know, then it's beautiful. Mm. Mm. Uh, you know, and that's what's been happening with these shows. Well, I guess they're connected to they're connected to a truly independent artist. So that's and and you. Yeah. And well, so that's and you know and and thanks. these people are too. Obviously, yeah, they are. You know, that's right. Um, no, there's no question about that. They are all of them. You know. Yeah. It's been it's been a, an amazing tour. Well, do you want to talk a little bit about this particular tour and the and the kind I guess the kind of evolution of the show and who's involved in it and how it's come about? Because you you mentioned to me before we started recording that it's quite an age range. It's quite a um, a diverse cast of people. Like musically, spiritually, philosophically, and 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 obviously you're all connected uh, with some shared experiences and some shared loves, but it's a, a bunch a, a bunch of different people mm. that have all found their way to you, or you found your way to them. Or yeah, well, we just crossed paths. Yeah, but they are bringing all their influences. Yeah, you know, so we're all we're all sort of bringing. If, if each one of us turned around, yeah, you know, we'd see a completely different yeah. past of influences yeah. and yeah. Uh, and now some are more frequent collaborators than others. I take it too. Or, or, or let me think. Um, that, you know, all these people in this show are fairly new collaborators. There's, right. And then there's only Derek this yeah. time who, that yeah. I worked with in the nineties. Yeah. Actually, you know, they're all they're all fairly new. This, this these ones. Yeah. Mm. So do you go and find people, or do they find you, or is it both? No, it's just, it is really, I really don't know. I can't answer that question. It's re it is really a chance thing. Uh, mm. It's just that uh, I do have enough sort of feelers out there to be able to come across, and there is such a wealth of talent, mm. you know, mm. in this country anyway, mm. um, that, you know, you, 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 don't, you don't have to stretch your antennae far mm. before someone will... With with that you know that you do f have the intuition, the right intuition, mm. uh, then you know then it just f it just comes together like that, and then the hard work starts. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, uh, yeah. Tell me about the the kind of uh, I guess evolution of band names. You mentioned before about um, you know way back you said there was a perception that you were possibly hiding behind different names or being tricky. Um, by not fronting up to do media and stuff and explaining it all, but um, but well, we you've even had you've even got should I say different versions of the same band like different you've got yeah I mean it's just that we didn't I, I wasn't the only one but you know we didn't really think anyone cared that much yeah so it wasn't I mean if I think you know if we had emerged today uh, I think would have paid a lot more attention to it because the whole branding thing is in the vocabulary of kids at school now you yeah. know they're, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah. they're learning all these terms and stuff you can't get away from it yeah, yeah. Um, whereas those terms I just was starting to pick them up like I was saying about mm. this these hoardings with the mm. next to where we did the video mm. and um you know, I was just thinking, oh, yeah, that's interesting, you know, subliminal advertising, <laughs> branding, that sort of stuff. Yeah, well, you know, whereas, I mean, people are, are aware of that from a lot earlier age. Mm, mm. Um, they might not think it's a bad thing. They might think subliminal advertising is a good way to make some money, you know. <laughs> but, 
Yeah, but you're. I mean, you. But the, we weren't. We didn't really think anyone yeah, yeah. cared too much. Yeah, yeah. So we we're just having some fun, really. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. but you you kind of settle on the builders. Yeah. Well, that was kind of like about that time when I, I realised that I had a family to feed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so this so needs thought, to have well, some. <laughs> I didn't really choose it. Someone else chose it. I think. I think John Dix. Not. I don't think he chose it, but it, when I he said, "Oh, that, why don't you just stick with that?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. You got you've got this um, I guess slightly famous story of you were called Herbs, yeah. and you had um, some problems with another band that was quite well known called yeah. sort of the same name. Do you want to yeah, tell that? Yeah, that's right. No, but they <laughs> well, it wasn't a problem really. They, yeah. it, it it could have been if yeah. they hadn't come to the gig. Yeah. But they because of the and the greatness of their hearts, two of them came to the gig. And they sat through the music, which wasn't their kind of music. Yeah. You know, and then afterwards, you know, they said who they were and yeah. and realised that there was no uh, insult. You were, yeah, you weren't ripping them off or, and or anything and like that. we weren't that. ripping yeah, them yeah, off. Yeah. And, I mean, we did, I, I, I did think herbs, herbs. Yeah. You know, the, you know, the urban, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, East Coast, you know, the hard-ass thing, and herbs, hippie, mm. you know. Uh, but I didn't, I never thought of that as a, as any kind of, you know, insult mm. to herbs themselves. Mm. Mm. Not at all. And, and later I was working with musicians who were, you know, quite influenced by the reggae, mm. reggae uh, or by the, mm. Mm. by those kinds of music as well. Mm. Yeah. You, um, you've mentioned going overseas for uh, personal reasons and study and, you know, anything but music. And then obviously you've gone overseas for music. You've But you ended up staying overseas for... Uh, you know what, a decade, just about. Yeah, I was. I did come back a few times because yeah. I had interest, interest, some interests here. But you were um, kind of based, yeah, and overseas, yeah, and and mostly in Germany and yeah, and in in France, France in yeah. Paris. Yeah, Paris was my home really for for quite a long time, mm. really. Mm. Apart from coming back here and um, at a little cottage here, you see. Mm. So, so, so sometimes people paid me rent for it. Mm. And sometimes it, it needed repairs, and sometimes you know, I would come back and so I was I had the privilege to mm. be able to come back because a lot of people don't, you know, mm. their parents mm. pass on, mm. and um, you know you just can't bomb in on people. Yeah, yeah. Anymore, yeah. they've got their own lives. Yeah, they've been working somewhere else for two years. They, you know, so it's hard for people who've been overseas, mm. you know, coming back, reinserting mm. themselves into society and all that. Mm. So I was lucky in that. When did you make the decision to come back? You come back in the sort of early two thousands, early to mid. Um, no, I came back quite late. Uh, okay, I well, I, came, I did come back in two thousand for yeah. a year. Yeah. But then I went away again. Then I came back in two thousand seven. Did an, another tour. I was back in two thousand four, two thousand eight. Mm. I mean, I was always kind of yeah, stop figuring out yeah, how yeah. I was going to possibly get back to New Zealand. Yeah, right. <laughs> because uh, I'd sort of ended up. Uh, somewhere else and I wasn't really getting fitting into society uh, in France even though I have a lot of respect for the French and uh, and certain aspects of the you know of the for the for the more militant uh, aspects of mm. their culture mm. um, you know the, the they're very strong they've got you know clear ideas and, uh, and they're not afraid to say what they think and you know it's, it's great a lot of respect for the French um, but I just wasn't really sort of settling in there, and so yeah, I didn't get back here until about 
Well, I won the Michael King Writers Scholarship and Fellowship in Auckland, which mm. is University of Auckland Fellowship, after some of my publications came to the attention of two or three people up in Auckland at the university and the Michael King Centre itself. So that brought me back for another six months. And I think about that time I, I figured I was starting to figure out a way of, of getting back. Um, and then I, I, it took another two or three years mm. before, because I had to bring all my books and records back and um, threw, it, threw just about everything else out. I even sold a very nice guitar. Yeah, yeah. So, but, yeah. Was it... I mean, you, you stayed pretty connected to New Zealand in terms of coming back, but, you know, is it a different New Zealand... Was yeah. it a different New Zealand to return to, and was that hard? Yeah, no, it was. It was a very different place. Um, in a way, also, it wasn't helped by the fact that, really, French society seemed to me, even when I arrived, to be, to be like New Zealand in the 50s. So it was not as advanced. Uh, I'm sorry for the French people listening, but <laughs> I really felt that New Zealand had made a lot more progress somehow against things like sexism. Right, yeah. Against, you know, I mean, uh, homophobia and, I mean, you know, the Latinate countries are just kind of inherently sexist. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I mean, that's not only that. There were lots of other things as well, like the the family and the idea of the family being linked by blood or not blood but being a lot more much more closed unit yeah i mean and some things in france uh, were, were, were good you know like you you have nationality because you're just because you're born there you don't have yeah. to have a, like a, a great grandfather you know who's from that country it's yeah. by, by 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 land rather than by blood but in practice, it's, it's, it doesn't really work like that, you know, and so the children of the, the immigrant populations who came to work for the French, you know, they're having big problem, identity problems themselves, even though they're French, man. Yeah. You know, so and then there was lots of stuff going on and uh, different kinds of arguments, different kinds of discussions, different kinds of experiences, fears and all that. So you come back and come back to a country that, ha you know, has all these other kinds of arguments. Yeah. We've got the... Um, affirmation of you know genders of transgenders all kinds of genders behaviors activities um, uh, cultures you've got the kind of renaissance of Maori culture you've got recognition um, of um, the treaty mm. you've got the teaching of all kinds of things in the schools as the basis of New Zealand society that were were no longer you know that were not the base regarded as the basis yeah. of New Zealand society so education itself had changed and also you know the language that people were using to express mm. themselves and, and, and in many cases the language, inner, the inner language of, of their thought. Mm. So yeah, I mean, telephone. hey, you know, this was, it's not Imitation. easy. You know, and there are half a million New Zealanders telephone. overseas. Mm. Half a million. You know, so our population's 4.9, but I think that's just people who are here in the country. So mm. that's really five and a half million. If they all came back, you know, well, we'd have an even worse housing crisis. <laughs> yeah, where we were. <laughs> but, you know, I think some of those things about, um, you say, us being a little bit more um, progressive than, than France, say, you mm. know, that, that, that's just due to our small size in some ways, isn't it? That it's, it's kind of easier for, uh, do you think it's kind of easier for ideas to, to spread, for things to be called out as well? 
I mean, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of this kind of call out culture where you mm. decide something's not right, so you label it straight away. I, I get why that that should happen, but I I don't know why anyone with a Twitter account is suddenly the boss. Um, but one positive of it is that you know we're small enough that those sort of ideas can spread quite quickly and people can be found out if they're doing something that's completely intolerant. Yeah. Uh, it's true that government, at times, in New Zealand government, the government does seem to be, sometimes it seems to be that it may, might even be by the people, uh, mm. in, in that if you express yourself that you, you may be heard, you know, hey, you can even talk to a member of parliament. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, uh, these sorts of things are un unheard of. And in, in, in France, if you really want to change, if you really want to be heard, you have to make a huge cry. Mm. You have to make a big demonstration. Mm. You know, they have, it's a way of life over there, mm. demonstrations. They have mm. hundreds of thousands of people, you know, expressing themselves because the administrations are just uh, completely closed off. I mm. mean, it's a kind of... It begins with snobbery, but it ends with um, uh, elitist uh, approach to, to government rather than a popular. And so mm. I guess we are more populist. Mm. Um, yeah, look, uh, I'm not a political scientist. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, it's still the same New Zealand in that way, I think. Mm. Is mm. That, yeah, that is something that yeah, change is, is always possible here. At, on ground level, and, and it can affect, mm. or, you know, other people. We're all, mm. this, we've only got one house, you know, we don't have the lords, mm. you know, and the, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. We, you know, we are, we are, we are, you know, it's a pretty democratic place, but I don't know if it's, you know, if it's paradise. Yet. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so you've, so you've found your way back in now. You're, um, you're, you know, you've re-established yes. yourself. You're, um, uh, yeah, I seem to be, I feel that I'm You feel like you're connected again. again and here, yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. And um, yeah. And we talk. But you've only got one. You've really probably only got one home. Really. I mean, anyway, mm. no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. So I mean, yeah. And you mentioned we mentioned um, the documentary and about you sort of you know it making sense to agree to to Simon making the documentary. Um, how how did you find? Um, yeah, we talked a little bit about the process of it, but how did you find the finished product and the response? And how did you find being having conversations around it and seeing yourself, uh, you know, on on film and 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 having people talk to you about that? How was all of that? Oh, yeah, I, th I thought it was cool. I thought he managed to balance um, humour and. Um, you know, seriousness mm. or whatever really well so mm. uh, you know there might be something that uh, you know might make, make people might make people chuckle a bit you know maybe you know my bald patch or uh, <laughs> you know or um, I don't know just mm. just stuff that it was just he just seemed to have a nice balance between the human mm. you know and that makes you smile uh, that, that's sort of real you know and then some more serious stuff some uh, some theories and um, and you know as I say he loves Christchurch so I think those Christchurch sequences mm. um, were pretty uh, moving because of him you know because of his point of view and stuff mm. um, and he was the one who wanted to go to well he wanted to go to Jerusalem because 
because I'd mentioned Baxter and some of something that I'd written to him. So he sort of made up an itinerary um, based mostly on what I'd done. But the Janet Frame thing uh, was uh, his. Uh, he, she's one of his favourite writers, right? As yeah, well. yeah, yeah. Um, so that that was he was very happy to be able to do that. Mm. And the fact that he didn't know at the start that my mm, great great grandfather was buried there, mm. so that was the icing on the cake. Mm. Uh, we got there, and no one had been the grave. The tombstone was all grown over with lichen. You couldn't mm. actually read the name, right? The family names and stuff. But uh, Steve Cornane and I went up there with a looked up on the internet how to get lichen off mm. tombstones. It's amazing mm. what you can find on the internet. <laughs> And went up there with some water, just water is the thing. Yeah. You shouldn't use detergent or anything that might cut the stone. Or So we cleaned the tombstones uh, just before it, and that was how he was able to get that yeah. that shot there. Yeah. Uh, yes, I mean, there were a lot of just good things that happened like that. Yeah, more, well, that's, hap- that's, more that's happy accidents. That's humour. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was just a sort of, you know, everything just clicked into place. So, yeah, when I saw the film... Uh, there was a sort of a chuckle quota, and then there was a where uh, there was the quota where I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, yeah, what yeah. am I going to say? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sort of yeah. The, but then uh, I think the editing was all pretty. Uh, I was going to say if the if the if the chuckles and the and the little um, bursts of pride or whatever outweigh the cringes, then yeah. that, that's really all you can hope for, right? Yeah. I guess as the well, I couldn't as the per, as the subject because you're never going to have the mm. you know the film in a way yeah. in a way isn't made for you. It's you know it's made for an audience. No, that's right. And also, I mean, the way we are, you know, we change every second. Mm. I mean, we do. We're all different, and I think that is that's what happened mm. then. Mm. Uh, maybe it's not, you know, uh, would be a completely different film. Yeah, made the, it this week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, completely, completely different. Well, I think that came across quite well in it too. The fact that it was a snapshot, it was a portrait of, you know, there, there's obviously some, yeah. uh, some nod to the history. The fact that you had done more things than just what was caught on film at that moment, but it really was a portrait rather than a. Attempting to be a definitive career take, mm. you know. So what? Um, what do you carry on with? You, no. you yeah. What's oh, What's in the po- What's in the? You know, oh. you said you know <laughs> about people having things lined up, and I mm. and I don't imagine you have things lined up in a catalogue list as such. But no, I don't. I, the only thing that I do have is a poem that I started um, in Middlemarch, where the film begins, mm. um, which is uh, the first. The first year I came back, I, 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 I started to just write about um, just natural things, um, and uh, then that's developed into a two or three. I've developed into a second. There's a second part to it now, so it's it's kind of turning into quite a big poem. Yeah. Um, which will probably take the rest of my life to finish, I, I think, this time around, because I'm certainly not going to publish it before it's finished, and I think it's going to take quite a long time. So if I can afford it, um, I, you know, I'd like to spend a few months uh, just getting that to a certain point before I get back into playing. But I've been invited to go to 
this festival, the Propped Art Festival in the States in September, which will be great, and uh, I guess that will may lead to some other things. So yeah, I'll, but I hope to have a month or two of uh, of just quiet writing mm. for a uh, yeah. Do you? I mean, you've written novels. You've written yeah. actual book-length novels, as well as I guess kind of like novels that hide inside other. Yeah. You know, collections. That's thing. true. Yeah. Yeah, I think the, there's one that's still not finished, which spans three. Yeah. Different publications at yeah. the moment. Yeah. Um, but I might never finish it. Um, you know, it might be just unfinished. There was yeah. another unfinished one that was that I started after. It was a the the it was when there's it was one novel that takes place in, in Paris, takes place in Paris, and um, this guy um, his his best friend is attacked and and uh, is thought to be dead. He, he's just on the verge, and he comes back, and then what it is is the is his novel when he goes back to London, he's a Londoner, and. Uh, but I never really finished it or incorporated that into a into a later what I call a novel mm. rather which is not one single narrative but mm. lots of different sort of fragments mm. um, but connected just by you know my thoughts or experiences yeah, or, uh, it makes me think of those old pick a path th- uh, yep. novel except except the reader doesn't get to pick the path you <laughs> the, the the writer has picked them you know you've chosen yeah. them for the reader yeah well but the, but that thing of coming back to life because this mm. guy came back to life was mm. also connected with the other stuff in that novel which is about coming back to New Zealand mm. so mm. it's like not coming back from the dead but but it's like it's like return mm. you know and so I was sort of turning over all the different meanings of return yeah I mean I even thought I thought of calling it the Book of Returns, but then I thought it might be like, you know, uh, <laughs> faulty product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Messages are textual, personal and mutual. The only fear is delay. The weapons are emotional, functional and virtual. Have a beautiful day. Getting perfectly laid Diners out on poverty With brandy mats for memories See to it that the luckies get paid Fewer than few speak for the dumb Fewer than few feel for the numb 